You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And today, I'm excited. To bring a brother on, man, who's going to drop a lot of wisdom, a lot of jewels. And I'm really I'm really excited, so I'm going to read a snippet, a snippet, a snippet of the bio, and we're going to jump right into it. So, he is the CEO and founder of Will Power Integrated Marketing, WPIM for short, for over 20 years. His agency it is, uh, it is an agency that finds new ways to bring big brands and their vision to reality, through Will's nuanced approach to bringing multicultural communities and entities together. That's a short, 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 short snippet of a bio of what he brings to the company, not what he brings to the culture, not only from a corporational perspective, but from a cultural perspective. So I'm really excited to, to hear and learn more because 20 years of experience, I mean, for everybody that's listened to our podcast, first six seasons, we had phenomenal guests. But one gap that I saw was I know I had to make it on my right in season seven is to reach back a little farther within the culture, right? So reach back to people that maybe been in the game for 15, 20, 25, 30 years to kind of build that bridge and share guidance because, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old, but sometimes like a couple years ago, we think we know everything, right? So it's good to really grow specifically in this time and age with the movement and the protest. And we have a lot of young people out there that's on the front lines, but don't know the history like that. And there's a conflict with that. And we're going to jump into a lot of stuff today. I'm excited. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Will Shelton to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to share, you know, some valuable insights and within the culture, within my lived experience, you know, in my business, in my industry. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Nah, sounds good, man. I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy you're here, man. So, as always, we like to start the show off with a quote. So can you take us away with a quote and share us an experience about how you apply that quote? Okay, yeah. Um, I have several quotes, but I'll, I'll say this one today. I think everyone should live a life that outlives you. Mm. That means in every area of your life, you should be trying to contribute. You know, you should be ashamed to die unless you made a major contribution to humankind. Um, for me... Living a life that outlives me means leaving a legacy behind. You know, I've been married for 30 years. I have three adult children wow. and um, always invested in them. I've been in, in business for over 25 years and I've always used my gifts 
and talents and been a good steward of those. Um, I've been an exercise guru and a weightlifter for 38 consecutive years, averaging three to five days a week. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> wow. so I always tell people, you know, you, you, what you do is you just be a very good steward of what you have and you can win with what you have and you live that life. And when you leave this earth, that life outlives what you contributed when you were here. Mm, man, that's, there's a lot to unpack with that uh, question. So growing up and knowing you've lived the life, right? Um, three adult children, 30, 30 plus years in marriage, 20 plus years in business. Did you envision your life would be like this growing up? I envisioned my life that I, w- I always knew I would do something great. I always felt it. And I always um, had a great work ethic. And I always went after my dreams as if my life depended on it because the life that I wanted did depend on it. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what God had in store for me, but I knew I felt like he was preparing me for what he was preparing for me. Mm, mm, mm. So before we jump in, because the way we're going to orient the show, the way I orient all my shows, for the most part, we talk about you as an individual, your backstory, because I think it's really important. I'm really big on getting context before we start jumping into business. I think sometimes in the culture, we jump into business and practicality, but you need that context, right? Specifically, people yeah, of color. Yeah. We need this. We need to, we need them stories because we need to relate. We need to relate. And then we're going to talk about business. We're going to jump into business as far as uh, we're going to jump into corporate diversity. That's your sweet spot, as well as a couple just general business principles because we have a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of hungry go-getters that listen to this, and we want to be able to learn from you. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is future. I'm really big on future, but also, too, I'm interested to hear your perspective on future because you got you have three grown children. You're 20-plus you're years in the business. And it's like, what is your take on what's next? You feel me? Because sometimes, and honestly, I run across I, when I do conferences and stuff like that, and there'll be some, some adults, some seasoned adults in there, and they really struggle with, like, what's next? They children are out of the house. Their business, they've been in business for a while. They've encountered some success, and they're like, okay, how do I stay motivated? How do I stay invigorated? How can I stay purposeful in the culture? So I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your feedback. So, uh, But before we go into your story, um, I, I always want to start it off with a segment where the guests can brag on themselves, not in a unhumble way, but just to kind of, I want to paint the picture and I want you to paint the picture of some of your successes, some of your highlights in your career, your personal yeah. life. This is your opportunity to give to the show before we jump in and do a deep dive in your story. Mm, okay. So you want me to give you some highlights or some things from when I was a kid or what in business now and let's let's do business and you can do some some personal things as well so let's start off with business and let's 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 keep it there i mean let's uh let's stay around there okay yeah well as far as my business goes you know um actually i'm a licensed cosmetologist cosmetologist and hairstylist and i started behind the chair man um and you know i had my own salon for 10 years and um you know, in doing hair, you know, people come in the shop and, you know, barbers and stylists, you know, they can get more out of you in, in 15 minutes than a therapist in 15 years. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know it's such an emotional connection, you know, and I think people realize that when everything got shut down, mm. they they didn't just miss the hairstyles. They missed the connection and the bonding and the conveyor belt of conversations that go on in these shops. 
you know, they, they missed that so much that they were asking the stylist to save a seat for me when you're back in there. Mm-hmm. So with me um, understanding that, you know, a lot of clients would come in at the time when I was doing hair and they would say, well, what album was that? I'm going to go buy that album that you just played or I'm going to go see that movie that you that you recommended. So what happened is um, I realized I was helping these entertainment companies that promote their projects. Uh-huh. So you know what I did? I went and I, I sent the proposal out to every movie studio and every record label I can think of. And within 30 days, what happened is they started sending me free CDs and free movie passes to give away to clients. Wow. And I knew I had something, you know, and I felt like I uh, tell people, you know, I really if you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. By going after what you want in life, you know, and never limit your point of entry. You know, I didn't have a degree in advertising or marketing, you know, Um, you know, I could have had those same thoughts of uh, uh, they don't know who I am. Uh, I'm too young for this. You know, those types of false barriers that you put in your mind that stop you and the fear, which is false evidence appearing real in your mind. So um, once they responded to that. I was so excited for two reasons, because I was getting free CDs <laughs> And the second reason, because I was like, man, this is a real viable business that, that I could really have a major breakthrough with. Mm. So let's stop right there. Right. So you send in a proposal and this is probably I, I'm not going to try to date you, but this is, wasn't where you can just go on Google and up all the templates. So how did you create the proposal? Like how, what was beyond that process? Yeah, you know, back then, you know, you had to do uh, the upfront work. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you had to go in the phone book and look up the addresses and the names of whoever you wanted. So what happens, I had a client who was a publicist at Mm -hmm. the time, and I told her about my idea. And she said, hey, you know what? I can help you put a proposal together for this. So she helped me put it together. And then right after she put it together, uh, she, I sent it off. And then I started making phone calls. I was making probably 30 calls a day wow. for, for a while just to get connected and to find out what department that I needed to get in touch with. And, um, you know, so I just did the hard work. I mean, computers back then, I mean, there wasn't, there was really, I don't even think it was Google. <laughs> yeah, no, <nah, laughs> it was like, uh, what is it? It was Internet Explorer was one of the first ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mozilla. So, <laughs> Yeah. So what? So basically, you know, even today, you still need to do what I call your business development, no matter what stage you're at or even with all this technology, you still have to, you know, develop your infrastructure of your company. So, you know, I had to do all those things and then I had to figure out who who to contact, who to target, what what uh, companies to target. And I need to really figure out what my target audience was as well and really niche down mm, mm, mm. so we do that and so th- that's that's great so let's 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 take a step back let's go back down to memory lane right so let's 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 start at high school and we're not going to do a whole drawn up but let's start at high school and you see cosmetology so can you just share with our audience man a little bit about your background where you're from kind of your 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 did you have siblings what were your social economical standing with your parents and then kind of just take us through um, to, to how you got to, into your career and started. Yeah, basically, you know, as a kid, you know, at about 13 years old, I was in high school at 13 and we lived in a kind of a middle class area, like right outside of Los Angeles, a suburb. 
And in this suburb, you know, it, it was great because it was very multicultural. You know, I went to school with blacks, whites, Mexicans, so I had all kind of different friends. Mm-hmm. But one thing we had in common back then, there was something called breakdancing. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, we all broke dance. And, you know, you remember that movie called You Got Served? Oh, yeah. Out, uh, yeah. 90s. So I always tell people breakdancing taught me how to be successful because I looked at it as like in, in life and in business, you never want to get served. You always want to be prepared. <laughs> uh-huh. When you come and you do your stuff, you want to be prepared to do the battle. And there's a lot of battles that you got to do in life and in business. So breakdancing taught me how to overcome adversity in life and how to become what you overcome and, you know, how to perform under pressure, which is what you're going to have to do in life. So I was a major break dancer. I was one of the best in my city. Mm-hmm. And also um, I got into weightlifting when I was 13 years old. At 13? You were 13. <laughs> like who, who put you on? You know, I looked, I was, I looked at this Sports Illustrated article. And it was a uh, about this football player named Herschel Walker, and it oh, and it yeah. talked about his workout. And I said, you know what? I want to be built like this guy. And I wonder if I do the same thing, what would happen? So I started doing pushups, a hundred pushups a day. And then I just developed, and over time, you know, it, you know, from then till now, it's been thirty-eight consecutive years of training, three to five days a week. You know, and I held a lot of the high school records for bench press and all that stuff because. I was just always one of those maniacally focused type of people. (laughs) Uh Whenever I got into something and I felt like it was my purpose, um, I was a purpose driven person and I just wanted to become the best at whatever I did. And I always wanted to um, just represent the best. Mm, man. So that was my childhood. Even in fact, a childhood, you know, in the city I grew up, Morris Chestnut, he went to high school with me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the actors and some of the uh, Lila Rashawn that was in the movie, I think, Waiting to Excel. She grew up in the city. So it was a lot of celebrities around town that we saw. So it, that was like normal to us. And we always kind of looked up to that. And we said, we could be like that. They they go to the same schools we do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how so the transition from you you weightlifting and things of that nature to cosmetology, how how in the world did you get into into that? So did you actually and, and also did you do cuts and and process and like do women's hair as well? Because uh uh my barber, he does all and it's pretty diverse. Like he's a different guy. He does the cuts, but he can do women's hair, he can perm, he can braid, he can do all that. So yeah, how did you make the transition? You still weightlift, of course, but that's a different. Most weightlifters don't do cosmetology, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, cosmetology by day, weightlifter by night, right? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so basically, I, I got married early. I got married. I was like twenty-two years old. I was working somewhere, and I always tell people, you know, hairstyling got into me. I didn't even know about it. I didn't even think about it as a kid, but. You know, I always wanted my own business. I went to the salon with my wife one day and I was getting laid off from this job. And the stylist asked me, she said, have you ever thought about doing hair? Men do really well and women like guys to do their hair. So, you know what? Three months later, I enrolled in school for hair and I just took it on like my life depended on it because the life that I wanted did. And so I, I was in here and I actually am a, I do women's hair, perms, cuts, and I did men's hair too as barbering as well. So 
I was very diverse at it, you know. So I used to do whole families. I would do the the mom, the dad, the kids, everything. <laughs> the all in. They're like, no, no, don't turn nobody away. Don't no, mama yeah. stay here and stay in the shop. Don't drop your baby, y'all. Stay in the shop. Yeah, and you know what? The funny thing is, you know, I did my daughter's hair when they were in school, and their friends would ask them, "Who did your hair?" And they say, "My dad did." And they were like, "No way, your dad does your hair." And then their friends would start coming. <laughs> so let's 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 stay there one second because. You know, it's a a hot topic for millennials before COVID and before things in the black community just went haywire about toxic masculinity, right? And I think Mm -hmm. what you, I mean, being a a physically strong dude, like, uh, like, for real, you're a weightlifter, you don't don't play with that. But being able to do hair, having a family, like, that's, a lot of that stuff doesn't mix. So what is your take on the, like, how, how do you... Be a guy that can can dedicate his whole life to training, to discipline, to focus in the room. And then you could do all sorts of hair and all this other stuff in business. Like, how do you mix all that together? And what is your take on the whole now? Like, I mean, and I, and I really want to go here in this episode since I'm here and I got a, a older and I call all my older guys OGs um, mm-hmm. on the whole manhood take. Because that is, is, yeah, that I'm going to let you cook on that. Yeah, well... Growing up, you know, my father was in my life, mm-hmm. my whole life. He's still alive today. He was just over a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just a really good father, always involved, always engaged. So I know that I, that was instilled in me. So growing up, you know, I knew when I had kids, I was going to instill in them. You know, you, you got to instill a value system. You know, sometimes I feel like that's lost today, that, that young people don't have a value system that's instilled in them. And, you know, I was kind of like an oxymoron because, you know, I have this look, I'm a weightlifter, but I'm doing hair. But I always loved it because I went against the grain and when people would meet me, because the first thing that anybody would think, they would say, well, you know, is he married? Does he like guys or something? Because you you hear about a guy doing hair, especially that back in the day, it mm-hmm. was like you thought they were gay or they were feminine or something. Mm-hmm. But I, I I busted through that whole mystique and I loved it because I showed another side, you know, to different to people that you can look a certain way or be a certain way. And it didn't matter what industry you're in. So I love bringing that into the hair industry that you could be a straight guy and you can do women's hair. Mm-hmm. Man, that's 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 really real. And you said something earlier and you, you alluded to it twice and I want you to unpack it. And I want you to attack it from a very literal sense. When you said that you attack things with a maniac, uh, um, a, a, a maniacal, uh, uh, know what I'm saying. maniacal, yeah. yep, maniacal focus, and you attack things as if your life depends on it because your life does. What does that look like? What kind of habits? Like, I really want people to really get into your mind on that. What does that really look like? Well, first of all. I think you need to have the underpinnings of a purpose behind everything you do. Like if you're going to lift weights, why are you lifting weights? Are you just doing it to put Instagram pictures up? Are you just doing it because you have a reunion coming up? And are you doing it because you have what I call a destination diet and you want to do it? So usually when you train for that and work out, you're usually going to stop. You're usually not going to be able to sustain that, you know, life. You want to be able to sustain things and, and the discipline that you have um, to be able to withstand a, a long term type of a mindset. Um, you know, you look at Olympic gold medalists and, and what they do. 
And, you know, when they're on TV and their friends see that, they say, hey, man, I went to school with that guy. But that guy never parties. They really rarely hang out because they have unfinished business and they have a purpose in life. And they're going after the gold figuratively and literally. They're going after that gold medal in life. And I think um, more people need to have that, you know, Olympic spirit in their life of going after their dreams because, you know, you say you want a, a certain life, but are you willing to put in and dedicate and put in the hard work that it takes? You see people on Instagram and a lot of those people that are successful in life, it took them 15, 10, 20 years to make it. But on Instagram these days, young people think, oh, I can do it overnight, but it doesn't work that way. You got to sacrifice. You know, you have to give up things. I, I call it a suffering to achieve something. Mm. Question. How do you how do you identify what you need to sacrifice? Well, you have to look at what is it that you want and what is it that you don't want? I always tell people, figure out what you don't want first, and it makes it easier to find out what you really want. Mm. So I think if you can get some things out the way and if you can get out of your own way, and you you really hone in on your gifts, your talents. Look at how you're wired. Look at your DNA. What did you always like to do as a kid, as a young person? Did you like to fool around with the mechanics or did you love math? Did you love words? I loved English. So communication was something that I was always really good at. Are you creative? So I think that you should really hone in on the things that you're wired to do. Don't just do something for money. Because you can make a million dollars a year and still be miserable. I see it every day. Mm, mm, mm. So let's talk about the transition as we, because we, we, we doused on one. Did you grow up with siblings as well? No, I have three siblings. You know, I grew up, well, I have, yeah, three siblings. I grew up, uh, I'm the middle child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I'm so like over the top with stuff because, yeah. you know, you, you're in the middle and you got the older and the younger one and they maybe they get more attention than you. So you got to figure out what you got to do to have your breakthrough. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I had a old, uh, sister two years older, brother one year younger than me, and we all grew up together. We were all in high school at the same high school at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which cool thing, you know. So we were, you know, we grew up really close, uh, knit family and um, you know, we all just kind of like strived for the excellence that we could. Mm. So what would you now let, let's transition. So we talked personally, so we got a, a, a tidbit. We got enough from that story. But let's go let's go to business, right? Our next section and before we even did dive into the layers of your business and then talk practical things and, and strategies and solutions, um, what would you say is your was your breakthrough moment when you really and I know and I say when I say made it, a lot of people are like, oh, I ain't made it yet. I'm like, yo, not I'm talking about like when you first started saying, man, not, I not only can I do this business, I'm good at what I do. And not from an mm-hmm. arrogant standpoint, but from you're a confident where and not only you affirming it, but others have affirmed it too. Like when did you what was your breakthrough moment? Walk us through that. I think the breakthrough moment was when I got my first deal with a movie studio because I had been trying to um, break through to um, show them that, you know, the African-American uh, audience in shops is it's a very captive, receptive audience. And it's a very valuable audience that I think it was a blind spot for these different global brands. 
So my breakthrough moment was when it was a movie called Two Can Play That Game with Vivica Fox and Morris Chestnut. Oh, yeah. I think oh, yeah. it was like the late 90s or something oh, yeah. like that. I love that, that movie. That I, Yeah, I, I watched that a couple months ago. Yeah, that's a <laughs> ride. Yeah. Yeah, it's way back. But um, I when they hired me to do some of the marketing campaigns to reach the African-American in shops, that's when I knew that this was profound. And it was a tremendous thing. And I was really excited because I was like, wow, they, they, this major studio, I think it was Columbia Pictures, hired me to do something that I didn't even know was possible, you know, until I started thinking about it and following my, my goal to see if it was really a, a really good thing that I could do. Because I always had this curiosity inside of me. And I think as a business person, you should be very curious to see, see how far you can go, see how far you can push yourself. You know, you can always push yourself a little further. So um, that was my, my huge breakthrough moment when I was able to, to do it, get a deal with Columbia Pictures for that film. And I, and I was like, whoa, this, this is going to go far, but I knew I still had a lot more work to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So question, because you didn't get a degree in marketing. That's not your background. Did you go, did you get a college degree? No, not even a college degree. So you I did. have some college, but I never finished. So you never finished college. You, you lifting weights, you're doing hair. How did you have the confidence not only to reach out to all these platforms, but then when they get the deal, like how did you not get imposter syndrome or did you get imposter syndrome? Like, yeah, walk us through that. I did get imposter syndrome. I really did because I don't think that you can get away with not getting imposter syndrome. I mean, you know, you, you believe in what you do, but I think, I think it's the belief that you have to have, it has to become stronger. Somebody told me a long time ago that the easiest thing for them to do in the world was to make a million dollars. But the hardest thing for them to do was to believe that they can make a million dollars. And it, it takes that kind of a faith and belief in what you're doing. And then after the confidence becomes the competence Ooh, in okay. what you do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more competent you become. And then the more confident you become. And then when you start reaching out to these companies, you know, you're dope enough. And you know you're no longer an imposter mentally. You're not shackled to that anymore. And then when you give them the education on why you should reach this consumer and how to reach this consumer and that they spend $1.3 trillion a year, when you know your stuff, when you can roll up on them and give them a mini seminar, <laughs> mm -hmm. then that's when you overcome all of that imposter syndrome and the Fear, I think fear is the biggest thing that holds you back. You know, someone said that, you know, fear is only false evidence appearing real to people. It's like a false barrier in your mind. They say that the wealthiest places in the world are graveyards and cemeteries wow. because that's where people's dreams died. That book that you were going to write, that restaurant you were going to open died with you. So, um, you know, you got to overcome that, that fear, that level of fear. And everybody has it. It's just a matter of I tell people be afraid not to. Don't Ooh. be afraid to do it. Be afraid not to. Think about what's going to happen to you if you don't strike out and do this and seize the opportunity that's in front of you. Man, that's that's heavy. That's heavy. So I, I, I like, cause we're, we're going to a good place, but I want to ask, knowing what you know now in the industry and whatnot, right? Go back to your yeah. first campaign with Columbia Pictures. 
and two can play that game. Like, what would you, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? I think um, knowing what I know now, I probably would tell myself, um, don't be so anxious. Um, you know, get some mentors, um, do some more research, you know, because research and development is really key. And, you know, building case studies, because the more case studies you have, the more knowledgeable you are. And when you do a presentation or present this to a client, they see the total value of what you're doing. So I would tell myself, you know, do a little bit more research, get some mentors, um, you know, do some workshops, you know, because um, even now, I mean, at this point, I still do workshops. I still have mentors, you know, I mean, I would tell anybody still have mentorship, even if you're 25, 30 years in, mm-hmm. it, it's so valuable to help you to overcome the pitfalls, you know, like that question you're asking me, you know, if I'm talking to myself, I would be telling myself, look, this is a pitfall, <laughs> you know, here's a valley coming up that you don't have to go into, you know, but those valleys, you know, you know, really the, you need that certain amount of adversity. You have to have that because there's always prosperity in the adversity, even. Mm. So if you could take us to a moment in your life where it was a adversity and, and kind of highlight the prosperity in it, that, um, yeah, if you could do, yeah, do that, do that, please. Yeah, um, well, I would say if, if I'm relating it to business, it was like I went through uh, some times where, you know, business is up and down. You know, yeah. it's, so it's I nice know. Especially when you're you're just getting started. So Ugh. I had some I had some major droughts. You know, I I, I got a couple of uh, accounts with a couple of studios or record labels. Then it would dry up, and I would say, man, you know, I I felt like I wanted to give up. And I would say, you know, because I still it was a side hustle still at that point because I was still doing hair. Hair mm-hmm. was my bread and butter, and that's one thing I'll tell people: if, if you have a side a bread and butter, stay with that until you make enough revenue from your side hustle that you can transition out of it. Yeah. Where so, were you 10 uh, years ago? I needed that advice. Well, I was, I was, I tell you young guys, I was all, Hey, I had hype. I got talent. We jumped out. And then every single time a year entrepreneurship, a year back a year. And I was like, man, what if I would just made my kept, kept my corporate job for five more years, put it on 50 grand in the bank and then came, but that's neither here nor there. I needed this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so what, you know, um, let me see. What was what was the where was I going with this? Because I kind of forgot. Yeah. I got off. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, now we were going with a valley moments where the prosperity in it, like see, like the wrinkle in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it it for me it it was all the ups and downs of trying trying to what I would call pitch and get new clients and new businesses very difficult to get new business, especially when you're a new company Mm -hmm. and they don't know who you are and you don't have that much in your portfolio yet. Mm -hmm. So that that was what I was going through. And, you know, sometimes I felt like, man, you know, is, is this really a thing where it's going to go where I think it's going to go? So I felt, you know, like I was in the trenches, but then, you know, all of a sudden God would come through again and I would get another, I would get a referral. Like, there was companies literally that I didn't work with that I had reached out to and they referred me to another company wow. and I got his. How does that work? <laughs> you reach out to them. They didn't work with you. How do you refer somebody you ain't never worked with? How exactly. Does- <laughs> well, I, I think by that time I had sent them a case studies of the work that I had did in the past. Okay. 
but that company, it's the timing just wasn't right for them to do anything with me, but they knew that I had something that they could be in alignment with. So all of a sudden, one day I get this uh, email and they said, uh, so-and-so brand referred you to me. And I was like, wow, that's pretty. And then I, you know, obviously I, I, I called them and I thanked them, but um, those kind of things happen, you know, here and there. So I would say, you know, you, you know, you have to keep your faith. You have to keep digging deep. You have to keep um, developing your business, work on your, your, or even if you have to restructure, reproject, stay agile, stay nimble in your, in your business, open up the aperture of your mind, especially in this day, there's no, you have to throw out the old playbook. I'm just going into now, but now I tell other businesses, you have to throw out the old playbook and adopt to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about pricing. Like, how did you, how did you, when you first got in the game, like I said, you probably had no concept of what to charge, what it is. So over the years, like, how did you adapt and grow? Cause I know a lot of people just listening, they're starting their businesses. And specifically, if you're a little older, you're 30, you start, you, you already have real money. And now you start a new business. Like, like yeah, how did, how did you go? How did your mind wrap around charges? And what do you learn over the years in regards to money? You know what? I would, this is funny. I would do this. I would say, Hey, um, I didn't know what to charge. Cause I, I never worked in the industry. I didn't know what to charge for whatever the service was. So I would ask them, I, you know what I did? I went to the bookstore and I bought some books on marketing and consulting. Right. Yeah. And those books told me some, some valuable keys. And, and what I would do, I would say, Hey, I would ask the company, what is your spin level? I would ask them what their spin level is to have them give me a price. Uh-huh. And then I knew a ballpark from there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, that's real. That's real. That's real. Is there any books out there you would recommend in general, not just in regards to pricing, but some foundational books or movies, because I don't know, some people are like, oh, I don't do books, movies. What would you recommend for those out there that are just seeking to grow maybe physically, mentally, spiritually, in, in books in general, in business rather? Um, what, what books would you recommend? Books? Um, you know, I have to think about, I have so many books and I got to go back and read it, but I think there's some podcasts because I know today a lot of people listen to, and podcasts is almost going to a workshop. I mean, you can listen to pod business podcasts on and it's like it's like getting a degree. Yeah. So there's some podcasts that I might be able to recommend people to listen to. There's one called um it's called Niche Marketing. I have like five or six podcasts that I listen to all the time. Yeah, sure. Shoot them out. Shoot them out. Niche marketing. And, and for all Niche my viewers, will be in the show notes. Build a better agency, smart agency marketing. Um, um, those are the ones I can name right now, but off the top of my head. But I, I, a lot of pod, I would say um, podcasts would be good. Books, I have to think of those titles later because I've been listening to so many podcasts. Oh, it's no incredible. Word. That's enough, man. So let's 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 get into your your sweet sweet spot, um, in regards to diversity inclusion with corporate companies. I know now that is a it's a weird place to be in, quite frankly, because you and you probably know better than I have because you've been in the industry for 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 a while, where a lot of companies do a lot of lip service. Um, they make these mm-hmm. great grant uh, brand campaigns, and sometimes they hire a black figurehead to do this marketing strategy to get the marketing strategy out the door, and they they leave. So what is your take on the industry, man? And what what do you what do you say when you go to companies that you know in the back of your head that they maybe their interest is not aligned, but they just need to they need to get something out. Specifically now with the protests, people getting killed. Every company mm-hmm. has a statement. So, uh, what's your take in it, man? And 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 what's your what's your what's your play? 
Well, you know, I've been coaching these a lot of these brands and big advertising agencies because, you know, they're so afraid to miss the mark now because they know that they can get boycotted. So the first thing, (laughs) the first question I asked in my mind is like, did Black Lives Matter before Black Lives Matter, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other question I asked, is your solidarity solid, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the other question I asked, does your stance line up with your stats? Mm -hmm. Meaning that what does your minority and your diversity of employment look like? Because if you make a stand, you know, these um, consumers are looking under the hood. They're doing a 150 point inspection on your company. They're basically doing an MRI and they're saying, hey, look, you said that we stand in solidarity, but we want to see about the microaggressions that you guys have had in the past. And um, so I coach these companies. I say basically it's not insurmountable because a lot of them think it is. And that you can make some mistakes, but you got to be transparent. You got to be honest and you can no longer be highly adjusted to the injustice. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so what does that mean? The last, I think that's deep, but what is it? What does that mean? Break it down. Highly say that one more time. Highly adjusted to the injustice. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Meaning that, you know, you have um, people that work at these companies. They don't even know that it's a problem. They they would they if you ask the white counterpart, is there an issue? They don't even believe it's an issue. So they've normalized something that's not normal because mm. it's been going on for so long. Sometimes I call it normalized dysfunction mm. <laughs> that goes yeah. on. But everybody's so adjusted to it. I mean, you know, even uh, African Americans, you know, a lot of times I'm, just, I'm writing this article right now. And it's called How African-Americans Make a Silent Agreement with White Corporate Hierarchy. Okay, yeah, break that down. I know, don't, don't drop, <laughs> yeah, break that down, please, because we have a lot. That's one thing about our podcast. It's about 65% of majority of podcasts is in corporate America. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I, I really want you to kind of break, break that down for us. Yeah, so basically, I'm going to give you a, a sports analogy. And you know who Mike Tyson is. And I used to, when I grew up, he was one of my favorite boxers. So back in the day, he used to have sparring partners. And most of the sparring partners, he would just knock out. So they have to give him some more. But every so often, he would get a sparring partner that he couldn't knock out. And he would engage in something. You see fighters hold each other in the ring against the ropes. When they're doing that, they're making a silent agreement that they don't want to get knocked out or they don't want to knock out the other person. So his his trainer told him, Mike, you got to stop stop that habit, because one day you're going to meet a guy who's not going to sign the contract Mm -hmm. of that silent agreement. And black executives have made a silent agreement with corporate America, and they always find out the hard way that the other side hasn't signed the contract. You know, you're battling these microaggressions and this flagrant discrimination at work. And a lot of black people, they just simply stop fighting, you know, with the same intensity that they did before. And they start throwing don't hit me punches because they no longer are trying to win. They're just trying to survive and they're waiting for the conflict to be over. Mm, man, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a boxing guy. Like, I'm a huge <laughs> Deontay Wilder fan. Um, I'm a huge, I, I rock with, I rock with Tyson Fury too, Anthony Joshua, Earl Spence, Terrence Crawford. I'm a huge boxing guy. And it's, it's, it is sad 
where it's like, man, like you have people that to a certain degree, they have a lot of power and influence in corporate America and they black, black is black is black. However, you always think like, what, why hasn't more change came? But then you think about the raw data, like you say, look at the stats. I mean, it's hard to make change when you're three, three or five percent of a whole company. Like it's just really, it's really, it's really hard. So what do you say to those that like, man, they want to, you want to be on the front line, but hey, you got a family or you, are you trying to grow your career? And you mm-hmm. said something earlier about sacrifices. What is, what is that? What does that look like? How, how awkward are those conversations? They are awkward, but you know what I talk, when I talk to these companies, what I say is, look, people say, you know, you got to get out of your comfort zone or it's an uncomfortable conversation. I say you have to lean into discomfort. You got to really lean into it. And you really got to say, you know what? We got to come out. There's no elephant in the room. And we got to have these uncomfortable conversations now in that, you know, there's a real colossal cultural collision in our nation, in business and in the culture. And, um, you know, companies need to just understand that, you know, even though it seems like it's midnight at midday, you know, Mm -hmm. They can still come out of the darkness and and hold up the light and, you know, do what's right. And I tell these companies, you know, don't do it because you got caught, you know, do it because it's the right moral thing to do. And you're going to have a better business outcome when you do that. Mm. And let's talk about that real quick. What is the benefits from it? Like what's the core benefits from inclusivity um, from a corporate perspective, but also too? in a general human perspective as well. Like what is the benefits to call the core that you can go and talk in a boardroom and they can be like, all right, uh, I can see that. Like what are the benefits? One of the benefits is healing (laughs) Mm -hmm. is healing because when you deal with something, you end up healing. And I tell them you can't ever go outside of your company to find the answer is inside. You have to have the conviction you have to have the inner constitution and you have to throw out the broken culture that exists in the company. Sometimes I just say, look, take the old culture, take it in the backyard and kill it and start over. You can begin again. Mm-hmm. You know, you can resolve it. You know, what happens is a lot of times with the blacks is, you know, we have this what I call this psych. We become psychological contortionist. Because um, we deal with this so much, you know, it's the double consciousness. It's the coming in the room and we got to read the room and we got to take the temperature more than they take the temperature for COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Places that we go in. But I think the real benefit is like just the healing of the company. I think companies have souls, too. You know, at the end of the day, these companies are run by people and these people have souls and spirits and, and they're dealing with things. So um, I think the real benefit is the restoration that can happen Mm. within the company and within the culture, because, you know, these businesses and these advertising agencies, they they help shape the culture. They help shape how blacks are viewed, you know, so those things have to be rethinked or how how the culture is shaped through what their advertisements are. Mm. So if you had the name. If you had to name at least three, if you want, if you have four core tenets of success, um, or see, it could be successful habits or four characteristics rather that an individual must have, or nah, let's do it like this: that you have shown in order to be successful in business. Like, what are the core in your core? Because every I always ask this question because everybody has different cores. But what has enabled you to really be able to succeed? At a, at a great level in business. Like, what, if you had to say, if you're about to break it down to the core, the root of it, what, what, what's the root? Okay. 
the root of it, I think the first root of it is you have to develop a niche. You have to define what the DNA of your company is. And you have to do something that you have to make yourself unique because people don't understand unique is better than even better is. Mm. So, and the other thing is you have to really position yourself. You know, if you don't position yourself, you're going to get positioned out here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, life. You know, life is a fight for territory. And if you don't fight for the territory you want, the territory that you don't want will automatically take over, you Mm -hmm. know? So then you have to build your brand, you know, your brand identity. What is your brand message that you put out there in your materials, on your website, Um, how you deal with different things in in business? So you have to build, build your brand identity. The other things is you have to build your skill set. Whatever you're doing, you know, that there comes back that maniacal focus to build your skill set. You know, you do it in sports. If you want to be a good three point shot person, you're going to take fifteen hundred shots a day until you master that. There's no way around. So build, it. <laughs> yeah, no way around to build your skills, become an expert, become a thought leader. Um, I think you should, you know, start branding yourself, put together content. Right. I do. I write like almost an article a week, a blog of a blog. And I do a deep dive into barbershops and salons and marketing and how all that goes together. So you begin to attract those type of clients you want because they see that content out there and you don't even have to make a call anymore. They start calling you and reaching out to you because they saw the deep dive that you did. And then the other thing I would say is um, the structure of your company or today because people feel like uh, their structures fell apart because of the pandemic and COVID and all that stuff. So what you do is you have to restructure now your personal life and your professional life simultaneously. So you have to look at, you know, now, okay, what do I do? You know, uh, we are in a new abnormal. We're not even in a new normal. Yeah, (laughs) It's really abnormal and it's not going to go back to the same anymore. So you got to really be nimble, agile. You got to do a lot of social listening you know, um, you know, clients, some clients were afraid to come back to the shop because they were like they didn't have the confidence. They were like, I don't know if I'm going to get this thing or not. So I told shop owners to do social listing, send out surveys to your clients and to new and ask them what's going to make you comfortable. Um, what would you like the salon to look like to come back? So that's social listening. And we've all been hearing about social distancing, but social listening is a great thing in business. You know, um, put together a, what I call an experimental money bucket. Mm. That's a great thing to do in business. Now, what you know, there's something you're going to have to do some trials now, some different things you never did before, but you may not have to spend that much money. So always put aside a small experimental money bucket for those things you want to experiment with to see if they're going to work. Mm. So those are some of the things I can drop on you for right now that mm. uh, businesses can use. And how have you been able to bring your full self to life? Let's just jump out of business for a second because I'm really on that tip right now. I mean, I, I've written two books, working on the third right now. And one thing that I've been able to master is to be able to communicate with people the fact that the importance rather of remember you're a genius, but most importantly, at the root of it all, bringing your full self to to life in every facet. Because once you do Mm -hmm. that, specifically if you're a person of color, there's nothing that can stop you. 
But there's a lot. So, A, can you speak on the challenges that some people may face in order to bring their full self? And how have you been able to, over the years, bring more and more and more of who you are to every situation that you're in? I think, first of all, you pretty much have to know who you are first. Forget about business. If you don't know who you are and you're you're frazzled and you're um, have a divided mind <laughs> and you don't have the focus and understand, like, wh- what is my purpose? What was I born to do so that you can really be authentic so you can really be genuine when you show up anywhere in your life? You don't have to try to be authentic. You are authentic. So you have to really think about, you know, what's your real purpose? You know, what were you born to do? Um, And really, if you work on that first, I think when you show when you finally show up, you show up in truth. Mm, mm, Wow. (laughs) Showing up in truth. That's that's real. That's real, man. Man, that's heavy, that's heavy, that's heavy. So I would be remiss, before we go to our last round, our rapid fire round, I do have two questions that I, I can't have you in the line and not ask. What is the keys to 30 years of marriage? Like, what, what 30 plus? What is the so, keys? Okay, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> the first one is you have to have a conveyor belt of forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> break that down, break that down. Because, you know... When you live with somebody and when you're married, you know, they're going to get on your nerves. You're going <laughs> to annoy them. And before you finish forgiving them for that last thing, they already did something else. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to wake up and you say, you know, I just got to have a, a constant conveyor belt of forgiveness. I have to let it go with both hands because, see, some people hold on with one hand mm-hmm. and you really haven't let it go if you're trying to hold on with the other hand. And the other thing is, um, in marriage, sometimes you just got to take the old marriage in the backyard and kill it and start over again. Mm. And you can, you can begin again in marriage. You know, don't, um, don't throw the whole thing away. You're going to go through ups and downs. Um, and the other thing that's super important is I, this is what I say. When you wake up in the morning, the first thought in your mind should be, what could I do to make my spouse's life better? Mm. You don't want to, you (laughs) know, It's crazy, not the segue, but I was having a conversation with a, a young lady, right? And I was thinking, like, my maturity, for some reason, I'm 30 now. I, up until 29, I never I never thought about how can I really make, if I was talking to a young lady, that's my girlfriend, I never said, in business, I'm always thinking about how to be bold, spectacular. How can I get to a million downloads? How can I get this next contract? How can I bring, I'm a speaker, like, how can I bring the energy but then my relationship, I'm like, well, I never, never, it's, it's crazy. It never crossed my mind. How can I make her, her day to day? How can I do that? And today mm-hmm. I was like, I finally reached a maturity level now. I'm like, yo, I, I want to do that. Like I'm, I'm, and it's like, why did it take so long? But I think hearing you, cause nobody, I'm talking to the OGs I talked to in life. They never told me that they weren't on that. They yeah, weren't, they weren't thinking about it because it's like, you're really investing in your own self. When you invest in them, you're investing in yourself. So you treat them how you want to be treated. And then you, it's going to be reciprocated. That's the whole key to it right there. You do unto her as you will want her to do unto you. And, it, and it's going to work. And you just make those compromises in, in life, you know, because you love them so much that you want to show them through your actions because love is it, an action. And I think 
the worst thing for somebody to do is just to marry somebody because they say, I, you know, I love them or you love me because love isn't going to get you through <laughs> the crises <laughs> because, you know, you still have to have that level of respect and integrity and character. All those things need to be there, you know. So um, I tell young people, you know, when you get ready to get married, you know, this is one thing that messes people up because, you know, a wedding takes 15 minutes. But to build a marriage takes 15 to 20 years mm -hmm. to do. And you got to realize that it's, mm -hmm. it takes a while to build a marriage because it's really flimsy when you first get married <laughs> because you haven't been through anything. Uh -huh. So anything can tear it down. You have to go through some adversities for the marriage to become stronger again. You almost got to get to the point where you feel like you want to walk away. But if you walked away it wouldn't be right because you're thinking at that moment, hey, nothing's going to be the same again. We went through too much. But you know what? It never was the right way in the first place. So you go back and you correct those things. And then when you start from that point, man, you, you're going to be so successful and so much stronger in your marriage and grounded. Mm. And our last question on that note is how do people truly and this is a tough thing because. How does somebody truly move on? And I think sometimes, I'm beyond, I'm a bias. I think it's easier for some men mm -hmm. to move on. But women don't mm -hmm. forget anything, right? And I know yeah, women, I know, I already know I'm going to get the feedback on this episode. What are you talking about, Greg? What are you talking about, Greg? Yeah. But I'm serious. Like, I, I didn't, like, yo, y'all don't forget nothing. Y'all be like, oh, it's all good. And then when you get mad, it's come right back. So how can couples, um, and, and you think about even your own life, how do, how do you kind of get to a place where you truly do move on to a certain degree? Mm-hmm. Well, first, you need to get some prepaid marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, seriously, though. You know, I think a lot of times you do need to get a third party involved, a really good counselor. Uh, and I think you should do um, counseling before anything even happens. Just just almost like a tune up. Then when you go get your car tuned up, you maintenance, you need that maintenance. I think that helps because when you run into a crisis, it is going to be easier for you to move on because you're going to have the reliable tools that you've learned through mm. those counseling sessions, you know? So it's like before your car breaks down, you know, did you check your oil? Did you do all this? Did you get your battery changed? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's the same thing in a marriage, you know, you can't just let the stuff erode and then think, you know, you're going to be able to come back or move on, you know? Yeah, that engine done, the engine shot. You got to get a whole new engine. You didn't, you didn't. Exactly. You got to get like a rebuilt transmission now, you know? And the, call, and the thing is, a lot of times, do you have enough money to pay for it? Like, yeah, do you, exactly. do you, do you, well, because the price is high. You know, the price is, is really high for some things that you didn't do up, up front, you know, and there's multiple prices to pay. And then when you get to that point, you're paying the full fare. You don't even get a discount anymore <laughs> on the price. <laughs> hey, that was a phenomenal analogy. Like I'm, I'm my team, we're going to dive that up. I know that's going to do well, man. That's, that's some real, <laughs> yeah. That's some sage wisdom, man. And I already missed too, man. You have three adult kids. What have you learned about yourself? about your kids and about even your marriage in regards to raising kids. So that's yourself, your kids and your marriage. Like in that, then that tripality, that's not even a word, but I, I wanted to say it. Like, how, what did you, what have you learned, man? I think I learned that, you know, you got to be unselfish. Um, I think that you got to understand when you have kids and you have a marriage and you're raising kids, you know, and, and then you got to think about the culture. You got to think, OK, the you you can't have any fear. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to throw that out the window because you, you have any fear. Your kids going to pick it up. You're going to operate in fear. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do the best job because you're going to be frazzled. Um, I think what I learned about myself a lot is just to continually grow um, and to continue to stay in discomfort and sacrifice for my kids. And man, my kids are amazing. They all grew up. They're amazing adults. And I know me and my wife, we really instilled wisdom. We instilled faith in them. You know, we would take them to church. And But this is the thing. We lived, I lived upright. When you have kids, you can't tell them to do something and then you're doing something else. They're going to see that. You know, they DVR everything you do from birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're recording it. They're always seeing it. So you need to live that life of an upright person, you know, in front of them and not tell them what to do, but show them what to do. And um, when they were growing, I was growing. I, I realized I was growing at the same time because I was a young father. I was 22. Oh, wow. I had all, I had all three of my kids by the time I was 27 years old. You oh, know? wow. 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 <laughs> you were young, young. Yeah, super young, you know. So I was almost like a kid myself, but I had the maturity to understand that I needed to really instill a value system, you know, which which I got from my dad, you know. So I think you got to be consistent. And I was consistent with myself. I always stayed steadfast in my faith. Um, whatever I did, I was disciplined for it. And I always vowed. I said, you know what, I'm I'm going to show my kids how to be rather than just because what you do speaks louder than what you say. Mm, 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 mm. I love that, man. So. Uh, before we go to culture change round, I always ask this in regards to the future, man. But what do you want your lasting legacy to be when it's all said and done? Um, not to get too morbid, but when it's all said and done, and you gotta you gotta go to the upper room, what do you want people to what do you want people to say? What do you want your lasting uh, testimony to this earth to be? Mm, I really want it to be one the quote that I told you before that that will live the life that outlived him mm-hmm. that he had the integrity, he had the character, and he was consistent, and he was a good steward of his gift, and he just let God use him, you know, every day when he woke up. And, um, you know, even when I come on these podcasts, you know, the prayer I always say is, God, give me the ability that's equal to my opportunity. Mm, Man, man, hey, everybody listening out there, man, it's a lot of stuff getting, getting smooth, smoothly done. Like y'all, is I, I, oh man, I'm just learning. I'm growing so much in this, man. This is real good food, man. So, let's go to the culture change round, man. And I got five rapid fire questions, and uh, let's mm-hmm. see if we can get rapid fire answers. You ready to go? Yep. What's the best piece of advice that you have never received? That I had never received. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. I don't. That's a hard one. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> the cheat code to that is just to give your own advice. Oh, my own advice? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Never give up and never limit yourself. Mm. If you can add one habit and take away one habit, what would they be? Mm. I would say take away one habit would mean uh, maybe stop eating so much sweets well, you you always in the gym how you eating sweets i know but still my eating habits aren't always as consistent because it's just life and emotions yeah. <laughs> um and then i think um, oh 
the the one thing I would take away was just like I always dealt with claustrophobia. Oh, for real? Wow. Um, I don't like getting in elevators and stuff. <laughs> I wish that wish that could overcome that completely, you know. Um, and I think the one that I would give myself, I think I would give myself just maybe a little bit more patience because everybody can work on that. So just more patience with people. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. I love that. Uh, what is your favorite movie and why? Oh, man, I'm a movie aficionado. I've seen thousands of films. I would say um, one of my favorite top was Shawshank Redemption with Morgan Freeman in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that one was a good one for me because it just showed a guy who, even though it took him like 30 years to escape, he he kept at it and he was persistent and he was consistent and he know he never committed the crime. He was in jail for something he didn't even do. And it took him 30 years to escape and he finally escaped. But he wasn't just escaping prison. I think it was a, a inner prison that he was shackled to as well. And, and he was able to break free from that. So I think the takeaway for me is just the being persistent in life and knowing that eventually you're going to get that breakthrough. Even though you don't see it, you know, God's working things out you can't even see. Mm. And eventually you're going to get it. Mm. What is your biggest fear? Biggest fear? Hmm, I don't have many, but let me see what would it be. I think my biggest fear is to have fear. Mm, okay. Oh, man. That's I, over 115, 16, 17, 20 episodes. I've, I haven't heard that one. I like that. Mm, mm, mm. Last question of this before we go to our last question of the whole show is, if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? First thing I would do would be to address the situation of anxiety because I think at the root of a lot of issues is, is anxiety that's, that's driven in this country in the chaos that comes from anxiety. I think I would want to address anxiety and the roots of it in multiple different ways. Mm, okay. Okay. I love that, man. So that's the end of the culture change round. Um, so it leads us to this. Like I call myself the culture change agent, and you yourself are a culture change agent and have been for decades, right? So this question regards around this. If you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African American culture, what would it be and why? Hmm. I probably would be stereotypes. <laughs> mm. Because stereotypes are most most of the time they're mere shadow images rooted in one's history and deep in the subconscious. So um, I would address stereotypes because stereotypes is what drives other people's perception of you and what drives a lot of the unconscious biases that happen. So I would want to address stereotypes, mm. whether it's, it's us stereotyping someone else or us um, doing what I call a self-fulfilling stereotype. Mm, man, 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 man. I love that, man. And as we wrap up this podcast, I, I can say this has been one of the most uh, 
like spiritually and just energy feeding podcast that I've had on this po- on this show because um, I really consider it an honor to talk to folks that um, have lived have lived the life and um, are willing to come and break bread with the young young guys. Like uh, and I shoot I shoot people call me old now. It's crazy. I'm like bro, I'm thirty. I just turned thirty. How you gonna be old? But I really, as I've gotten older, I, I have a certain respect for for specifically black men that have been in their children's lives that have upheld marriage um, and that have uh, put on for the culture. And I think it's up to myself and others that are listening, et cetera, to, to uphold the standard, to continue upholding the standard um, and continue building the bridge and connecting with, connecting with the OGs because we, there's a lot of stuff that y'all may not know that we can get y'all hip to, but there's a, certainly a lot, a lot of stuff that we just do not know um, that we need to be aware of. And there's no excuse not to. So I appreciate, I don't take this time for granted. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and my Noted Trouble as a nation for, for giving us well over an hour of your time to really just share wisdom, share advice, um, to build with us, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, and I want to just leave one more quote, which you might use it or not. But I just want to say today, there's a lot of tough decisions to make. And And I want to let people know a tough decision is not a tough decision because you don't know what to do. It's a tough decision because you know what to do, but yet most of us aren't willing to conjure up the courage to do what we know. Man. I'm going to let that breathe, guys and ladies and and gentlemen and children. I'm going to let that breathe. So uh, can you leave us as we as we close where can we find more information about you, your services, kind of what you do, your business? Where can the audience find more information about you? Yeah, you can you can go on my website, which is will with one L, willpowerent.net. That's my website. And then my Instagram, you know, you can direct message me. Um, I also have pick my brain sessions with people <laughs> mm-hmm. that want to know some things or about business. Um, they, I am. So the letter I and the letter M willpower with one L. I am willpower. Mm, mm, love that. So my note of trouble as a nation, you know, all that information will be on the show notes at the end of the show. So make sure you check that out as well as the podcast that he's mentioned before. And a lot of other great things. So, as customary, Minority Trailblazer Nation, you already know what it is. As we close, we need you to do one thing and one thing only. Ah, nope, two. As always, we know we need you to make sure you leave a review on this podcast, man. Blow his DMs up, man. Definitely let him know he had a great show. Tell him the lessons you learned from it. So, definitely show our guests the love. And as always, make sure you are changing the freaking culture. Good night.